Good morning. I wonder if you would pray with me and let's center ourselves as we begin uh, going into the message for today. And if you would just, as you are able to, just lift your hands up to the Lord, just with palms faced upward, that we might all together ask for the Holy Spirit to lead us in this time. Holy Spirit, we know you are here and you are working in wonderful ways through the music and prayers that we've prayed to the reading of your word. And at this time, as we open our hearts and lean our spirits into hearing what you have to say, that all of us gathered here might hear a word that is giving us freedom, light, and love, that we might walk in the victory of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I grew up in a home where um, conflict was really something that didn't happen much, and it wasn't because we all got along really well. Uh, conflict was something that we were just very averse to. Uh, from a young age, I was taught to steer away from it. Uh, if there was tension, if there was some kind of a challenge that I was facing with, let's say, my older brother or my parents or just any one of us, there were four of us in the family, we just kind of didn't talk about it. Uh, we just didn't get into that mess of, of uh, having that or talking about the tension or having the, the argument or the fight. From a young age, I was, I was taught, take the higher road, be the better person. It takes two people to fight, be the one that doesn't turn it into a fight. So that resulted in a rather quiet dynamic in the family life. But when it came to having conflicts with other people, I found that I didn't know how to do healthy conflict. I didn't know how to really talk through a lot of the challenges that I was experiencing in my own heart, in my thoughts, and how to do it in a way that's constructive, healing, and really going deeper into the relationships that I had in my life. And I remember hearing for the first time as an adult, it's not that people shouldn't fight. It's that we need to learn how to fight well. We need to learn how to get into those difficult conversations and to do it well. And I remember sitting there thinking, huh, isn't that something? I had to admit that being conflict avoidant or conflict adverse might feel like in the moment for me that, oh, I avoided some kind of a big blow up or some kind of a problem. But truthfully, I know I was holding people at arm's length. Because when it gets tough, when it gets challenging, it's just easy to just keep that distance, don't let it cause any trouble, and we're good, right? Now, inevitably, every relationship, every relationship of every kind arrives at a point of conflict. Max Lucado says, conflict is inevitable. But combat is optional. <laughs> so whether you roll up your sleeves or not, that's up to you. But conflict is inevitable. At some point, you're going to get to a place where something doesn't sit right with you. And there needs to be a pathway forward. Here's a video that captures what conflict could look like. Let's take a look. Wiggle away, not raining. Ma, my mom said it is raining. It's twinkling outside, Macy. 
Mama is raining. No, no, it's not. Yes, it is. No, you're pretty. And you're not real. I'm real. And it's raining. Ow. It's raining. It's okay. It's raining. You broke my heart. It's okay. You broke my heart. You poked my heart. Isn't that what conflict feels like sometimes? You poked my heart. It feels like our hearts have been poked. It doesn't feel too great. Sometimes it hurts. Other times it's uncomfortable and also unwanted. You poked my heart. When you hear the word conflict, what comes to your mind? Do you feel conflicted? Do you feel a conflict rise up within your thoughts, your feelings, at the core of your being? Most people have been raised to either be conflict-prone or conflict-averse. And the idea of conflict reaches deep into the formative experiences of our lives, and that determines and shapes how we're going to enter into spaces of conflict. So a question for us to consider is, what was conflict like for you when you were young? In your formative years, what did you learn about conflict? Likely, you've developed a way of addressing conflict or not addressing conflict as a result of your formative experiences. And conflict oftentimes is a negative word in our world and often invokes tension, even at first thought. Conflict can be seen as an obstacle in a relationship. But what if conflict is an opportunity? What if conflict is viewed as a door opening rather than a door shutting? Relationships that navigate conflict well produce deeper trust and closer bonds. And as we talk about conflict, we might think of, oh, yeah, um, conflict resolution. Yeah, I've heard of that. But today, I want to invite you to go further. And we want to talk about something called curative conflict. Because curative conflict is the kind of conflict that doesn't just kind of find a resolution, something to agree on. But curative conflict, the word curative is in regards to the concept of healing and wholeness. We want to go to a place in relationships that are meaningful where there's healing and wholeness and not just learning to get along. And today I want to make sure that I'm very clear about how I'm speaking about relationships that are meaningful and important in our lives. These relationships may be professional relationships, friendships, family relationships, and our church community. To be really clear, I am not addressing curative conflict in relationship to toxic or abusive relationships. That, that's a very different space. So I want to I say that very clear for all of us, that physical, mental, relational, emotional, and spiritual abuse is, is not okay. It is not okay. This morning's message on curative conflict is about the meaningful relationships that we have that we desire to see become deeper, more full, and more vital. In our scripture reading for today, Jesus provides a practical model for how we might address this thing called conflict. Jesus says that if you have a situation with a sister or a brother that sins against you, that you should privately go to them and speak to that person and draw attention to where the tension is, what, what problem there is, what sin might have 
been committed or what kind of offense you might have received or what kind of problem that there might be. And then Jesus says, if, if they listen to you, if they listen to you, you've won over a brother or sister. Jesus is teaching us that overcoming conflict is not about winning the argument. Jesus is teaching us that winning the argument is not the goal of how we do conflict. But isn't that how oftentimes we've been taught that when you get into a conflict and a disagreement, you're trying to make your point. You're trying to get your point across and prove your point and win the argument. And Jesus is saying, that's not what it's about. The point of where we need to land, Jesus is saying, is that you want to win your brother or your sister over. Which means it's not about winning the argument, but it's rather about winning the person. It's about winning the person of who they are and your life together. When it comes to conflict, are you paying attention to the argument or are you paying attention to the person? We've been in this sermon series on practical relationship. And we're talking about self-love, self-care, knowing the value and worth that you have as an individual, as a child of God. And then we talk about seeing the sacredness in the other person. So when it comes down to it, practical relationship really stands on how we are able to see the sacredness of the other person, the value, the eternal worth that I have and that you have. So it's about winning the person. It's not about just winning the argument. If we will do the difficult work of moving through conflict, we can win someone over, meaning we can have a deeper relationship with the person. We must be careful to not make conflict about just winning the argument. There's that saying, you win the argument, you lose the relationship. We can do this when we hold the sacredness of the other in view as we navigate through the difficult tensions of conflict. Sometimes we try to reason and we share our heart with the other individual that we have a conflict with and it doesn't go too well. Well, Jesus gives us another practical step. He says, get a few others, get an individual or two or, and, and gather them to help mediate and, and bring resolution to this conflict. And Jesus says, but if, if they won't listen, take with you one or two others so that every word may be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. It's about accountability. It's about really trying to create that space of mutual agreement and wisdom and how we might, again, the purpose being about relationship, move that relationship forward in a productive way. Now, sometimes that doesn't work either. And so Jesus says, but if they still won't pay attention, report it to the church. Now, this is not about shaming. What Jesus is really trying to help us understand is that relationships happen in community. And it's about loving and caring for each other. You may know different models of conflict resolution that is similar to the process that Jesus is proposing. Right? We don't want to triangulate when we get into problems with people. We want to talk directly with them. And if that doesn't work, we try to bring people who are mutually supportive. Like, for instance, when you're having an argument with another person, it does no good to bring someone who's just only going to side with you. But you want to bring in a good mediator who helps listen and cares for the relationship. Oftentimes when I've been in the space of talking through different difficult conversations with people, whether it may be friendships or significant relationships, uh, uh, marriage or couples or whom, whatever kinds of relationships of walking through and processing through differences and oppositions and, and conflicts, 
What I try to help people understand is you need to bring people into this space of conversation and community that's not just going to take one person's side, but actually cares about the relationship as a whole. And that's what Jesus is trying to get his listeners to understand. Bring people together that's going to care for the relationship. That's where you will find wisdom. Well, but what happens when you hit a point in conflict where no matter how much you've tried to reason through it, how many voices of wisdom and mediation that you've brought into the conversation, it does not make a difference to resolve it or to help this relationship become more whole and healed. Jesus says, treat them as you would a Gentile and a tax collector. Whoa. At first reading, one could imagine this is about casting out someone and saying, nope, you're not part of this group anymore, and breaking that relationship. At first glance, we might think that Jesus is saying, hey, do everything you can to resolve conflict, and if it doesn't work, go ahead and cast that person out. You can imagine Jesus' audience as he's teaching on conflict. In fact, Matthew 18 is all about relationships and conflict and navigating through all the differences. And, and Jesus is telling this and teaching on this, and if, the, if there's someone who's disagreeing with you, confront them. And the crowd is thinking, yeah, that's right. That makes sense. Confront them. And if they don't listen to you, get other people involved. Yeah. And if they still don't listen to you, get the whole assembly involved. Yeah. That sounds right. And if that doesn't work, treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. Yeah. Wait a minute. There's something that's not, that's not adding up too well here. If I think about who Jesus is, hmm, every time I read something in the Bible that Jesus says that really bothers me, I found that I need to dig a little deeper. I found that a lot of times what Jesus is saying is not to be taken at face value, but need to go a little bit deeper to understand what exactly is Jesus saying. Now, what, what the listeners might have been thinking initially is that in the world of first century Israel, a Gentile and a tax collector are people that should not be associated with. You don't want to talk with them. You don't associate with them. Gentiles were treated as people who are less than. Tax collectors are viewed as traitors. So the audience that Jesus is speaking to can easily, at first moment of hearing Jesus say, treat them as a Gentile or tax collector, is, is Jesus really saying to just cast them away? To break the relationship? Is that what Jesus is really saying? And you pause. But if you take a little bit longer and think more carefully through this, what you will remember is what did Jesus do with the Gentiles and tax collectors? He ate with them. Now, this is next level because Jesus, Jesus is eating with the Gentiles and tax collectors. And in ancient Israel culture, to eat with someone was to recognize them as a friend. To say, you are my friend or a companion or family. Eating means to be in relationship. 
So I can picture Jesus right now. The crowd is affirming everything he's saying from confronting the person and getting accountability and, and, and help and trying to figure out this problem. And then finally Jesus says, treat them like a Gentile and tax collector. And as they say, yeah, Jesus is continuing to look at them. And then finally, it really dawns on them. Giving them space to really think this through. And the people are possibly thinking, oh, Jesus, oh, are you serious? Are you for real? You, you, want me to, you want me to really love this person that just won't, won't respond? That just doesn't get it? You, you really want me to really love this person? Looking at Jesus and imagining his disciples and thinking about the scandal of this message. And Jesus says, come follow me as he's recruiting his disciples, his followers. He's saying, come follow me. And one of the places Jesus takes them early on is Jesus takes them to Samaria, the place where Jewish people don't want to go. When people were traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, sometimes they would travel the long route to stay away from Samaria. But Jesus takes them right into Samaria. Samaria is the place where Jews and Gentiles are mixed. Samaritans are considered less than in the eyes of Jews, but Jesus goes there. And he sits at a well in the Gospel of John chapter 4, and he's inviting conversation with a woman, with a Samaritan woman. And she becomes, as a result, the first evangelist in Samaria. Jesus goes to a tax collector by the name of Matthew and invites him to be one of his followers. Then he goes to another tax collector named Zacchaeus and eats in his home, enters his home and eats in his home and declares, today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. And then he goes to a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is somewhere really no good Jewish boy should ever go, but Jesus takes his, his disciples, which by the way are young teenagers, and he takes them and he goes to this city called Caesarea Philippi, which is the, the, the main place where, where the people, the Romans, would worship this god called Pan. There was a temple there, and there was a cave next to this temple, and inside this cave, this cave was this, this, this pool of water called the Gates of Hades. And the people believed that spirits would go in and out and enter into the, the, world and the, the physical world and the unseen world. And, next, and all of this is actually sitting on this big cliff of a rock, and there Jesus is taking his disciples and says, who do the people say that I am? And the people are saying all sorts of things like, well, you are this and that and all these different people. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, on this rock, and he's pointing to this cliff, and he's pointing to where nobody should ever go, the places that are not where the religious people go. And yet Jesus is pointing there and saying, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. Then there's the Canaanite woman and the Roman centurion who are commended for their faith. These are just a few accounts of the many interactions that Jesus had with Gentiles and so-called sinners and, and tax collectors. And the fact of the matter is that this passage on conflict takes place much farther into the story of Jesus, Matthew chapter 18, far into the life and ministry of Jesus. So when Jesus says, treat them like a Gentile or a sinner, the audience knows what he's talking about. It makes them pause. 
They're in shock because they know what Jesus really means. They'd rather Jesus say, hey, if it all doesn't work out, just cut off that relationship. But Jesus is saying, hey, if it doesn't work out, start all over again and pour your love on this person. This is called the scandal of grace. The audience knows what Jesus is getting at. And you see, Jesus is not talking about some simple tools of conflict resolution. How you stay out of trouble. How you keep people at arm's length. How you de-escalate a situation. Jesus is actually pulling the rug out from underneath and saying, this is not what it's about. What you thought it was, it's not what it is. I'm inviting you to a new reality, a new way of human engagement. And to emphasize this, he says, I, sh- I assure you that whatever you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven, and whatever you loosen on earth will be loosed in heaven. You may have heard a different version of that, which is whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But what does that mean? Such a mystery phrase. What does that mean? Well, in ancient Israel, in, among ancient um, rabbinical Judaism, there's this phrase that says, if you bind, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, what you will loose on earth will be loosed in heaven, and it's, it's about interpreting Scripture. It's a phrase that describes interpreting Scripture. How you interpret Scripture, if two or three will agree on that, then it is bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Every rabbi had a yoke. Take my yoke, it is easy, Jesus said. Every rabbi had a yoke, which is another word for teaching. And every rabbi had an interpretation, which is how to bind and loose the scriptures, contextually to the times in which people lived. So Jesus is bringing in this new reality, new teaching, and new authority on how to do relationships, how to be able to navigate conflict in your lives, a new understanding that conflict is not about winning the argument or compromising and just trying to make do. Conflict is about winning the heart of the person. And that's what our faith life is about. Jesus didn't come into this world just so that he could win an argument. Jesus didn't come into this world just so that he could convince us of right theology. Jesus came into this world to make relationship between God and us and us with others. And that's what this is about. Conflict is not about winning the argument, but it's about winning the heart of the other person. And that requires a scandalous outpour of grace and love. So now listening to this, Peter thinks he understands. He's listening to all this and he decides to respond. Poor Peter, he always likes to respond and he gets in trouble for it. And Peter responds and he says, he says if you read beyond what we just read today, in the 18th chapter ends with this interaction between Jesus and Peter. So then Peter says, okay, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Should I forgive as many as seven times? Peter is not throwing out some arbitrary number. Peter is truly being quite the amazing disciple here, actually. In Jewish tradition, one should forgive another sister or brother who sins against you three to four times. And that's enough. So when Peter is hearing Jesus' message, he decides to say, I think I got it. I'm going to double it. I'm going to double it. And I'm going to say, seven. How about it, Jesus? Do I have it right? Did I get it? When Jesus talks about treating the Gentiles and tax collectors, Peter thinks he kind of gets it, and he kind of does. He's starting to get this idea called grace. Treat that unrepentant person who keeps sinning against you over and over again and refuses to honor and listen to what you say. Give that person grace. He's starting to get it, so he says, instead of three to four times, 
Let's do seven times, Jesus, did I get it right? Did I get it right? And in the eyes of any good Jewish person, it would have, at that time would have been like Peter's being so generous. I think Peter's got it. And yet Jesus says, no, 77 times. Wow. Now please hear it clearly. Jesus is not telling us to go count. Jesus is not telling us forgive people only 77 times. We all know people that we've had to do more than 77 times. Don't hear the number, hear the magnitude of difference between 7 and 77. That is the scope of grace that Jesus offers us. In that grace that we might find a way to embrace those whom we have challenges with. Because curative conflict is not easy. It requires us to live out of a place of our own healing, out of our own deep experience of God's forgiveness and love for us. And the more we sit in that, the more capacity we have to offer curative conflict to others. Because in fact, God demonstrates curative conflict to us. While we thought God was boring, while we thought that maybe this Christian stuff does not make any sense, or while we were telling God, I want to do things my way, and I just want to do things whichever way I feel like it. Whatever your experience might have been, that in that space, God continues to reach forward and pour out God's grace upon you in your life, reminding you that God really loves and cares for you, and God is continually inviting you. And when that didn't work, God comes in the form of Jesus Christ and says, I will be with you. Henry Nouwen a Dutch Catholic priest, professor, writer, and theologian best known for his writings on The Wounded Healer writes this, experience tells us that we can only love because we are born out of love, that we can only give because our life is a gift, and that we can only make others free because we are set free by him whose heart is greater than ours. This is a call for us to remember the wounds that God has healed in our lives and the wounding that we have in our lives, that it gives us the space for human commonality that where we are experiencing grace from God, that we too can extend that grace to others because as much as I've been wounded, as much as I've been in need of God's grace and healing, so does the other person standing in front of me. Surely we use the right wisdom and methods to help reach places of understanding when we have conflict. Please use the best methods. Please use the best of wisdom. And I invite you at the same time to lean into your own human frailty that drives you to Christ that drives you to that space in your heart where you are reaching out for grace to enter into your life so that you might also be a, a means through which grace can be transmitted to the one in which you're having conflict with. So that, so that you might have healing and wholeness in your relationships. So that you might win someone over. So that you might have relationships that are more vital and full. While we have great methods on how to find resolutions in conflict, I want to invite you to dive deep into your faith into Jesus Christ so that you might find that curative element of conflict. Christ calls us to a deeper resolution of conflict than just agreeing or compromising. Christ calls us to be in that space of affection and connection to the very person we are having conflict with. 
Jesus is more interested in the wholeness of the relationship than simply realizing the differences and figuring it out. So he says, love one another as I have loved you. Sit, marinate, and bask in the love that Jesus has shown you. That requires us to be in the space of vulnerability and realize our own human frailty. And that leads me to this, that in this upcoming season of Lent, it's that space we enter into this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and we are very cognizant of our human frailty on Ash Wednesday. And that starts this season of Lent in which we have a big opportunity before us to dive deep into the heart of Jesus. We all have our life groups that are going through Adam Hamilton's book, Luke, Jesus, and the Outsiders, Outcasts and Outlaws. Please join one. Unless you have a particular situation, you really, really should take this opportunity because we have in-person, online, and hybrid opportunities. We have groups that are meeting out of Flores, Reston, and Loudoun campuses. You can be on the other side of the world and still join one through Zoom. So please join one and dive deep. There in that exploration of who Jesus is that you will discover the power to really step into spaces of relationships and go deeper. Please make it a point to come to Sunday worship every Sunday in this high holy season of Lent that you are part of Sunday worship every Sunday unless you're traveling or sick and even then you can worship online. Even then. But be here. Starting this Wednesday, Ash Wednesday service at 7.30 p.m. Be part of your own individual journey as well as your whole church's journey to go deep into the heart of Jesus and then serve alongside of the book study we're doing and the messages that will go with it is this thing called the big serve every week every week through the six Sundays of Lent that lead up to Easter is a big serve activity every week and next Sunday is called the big cleanup come ready to get messy dirty and clean up the grounds of our beautiful church Come dressed for the cleanup or bring a change of clothes. And I've learned that while serving others and serving the church, my own understanding of God's compassion and grace for me and for the person that I'm with, that that has increased and it has also been transformed. And because of that, when I enter into places of conflict, my heart has been transformed. And it's changed to be a person of grace and love. Friends, as we lean into and yield ourselves to the transforming grace of Jesus Christ, the unlimited forgiveness of God, and the healing power of the Holy Spirit, we can have curative conflict and truly build deeper and more vital relationships. Amen? Would you pray with me? God, we pray that you would help us to lean into Jesus, be amazed by the incredible love that you have given to us and demonstrated for us in Christ. And help us, God, to explore this and, 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 and go deeper into our relationship with Jesus. Help us to know the, a greater measure of your grace and love so that we might have capacity to enter into spaces of conflict and be able to see the sacredness of the other person and to know who you are in our lives. Help us, O oh God, in this Lenten season to know you well and more deeper as we dive deep into the Gospel of Luke together and to serve. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.